I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast Wednesday, the last day of May, May the 31st, deep into the offseason now. No Steve, he's still back in his parents' basement doing whatever it is he does in Massachusetts, which means we've drafted in the great Trevor Sikama for the show today. What's up, Trev? I was wondering where Steve was. I mm. saw clips of the show the other day, and it looks some sort of basement, you know, which I think I guess that like goes along with the vibe, right? Everybody out there believes that every employee at pff still lives in their mom's basement um i mean seth does actually but you know i i, I just think that that was i was really on brand for pff so yeah it, it is pretty funny he becomes an actual cliche he goes and lives in his parents basement and that's where he does the show from when he uh when he moves over there to uh to massachusetts so we got a that's fun when he needs that's when he needs to bring in the real analytics you know when that's the background right. you're about to get the real football analytics from yeah, you're going you're going deep into some nerd stuff if he's yeah. coming from the parents' basement. My favorite shows though from his parents' basement are when he, he did it, you know, for Christmas a couple of times where he's gone back home and he's done the show from the basement and you know, that big Christmas tree in the background and his dad would just like wander across the back and just start like fixing things like the tree, you know, things on the the fireplace or whatever so those are i think the best ones is where steve's dad makes an appearance just in the background fixing parts of his shot is his is his dad also freakishly tall no like steve's he, it's bizarre steve's dad is i not short but is not tall and i don't think his wow. mother is either like he's just some outlandish freak relative to <laughs> everybody else in his family it makes no sense that was actually the best answer that I was going to get from that question, so I'm glad that I asked. <laughs> All right, so we got a fun show today. We did um, quarterback and running back rankings when you were last on the show. Today, I want to talk about wide receiver rankings, and we'll get into those as well. we got some housekeeping items up top, though. The, uh, the PFF podcast survey is out there. We're going to attach it to the description of this show um, if you listen to the podcast, if you watch on YouTube, we would very much appreciate a couple of minutes of your time to run through this survey, help us make the show as good as we can possibly make it. I've also tweeted it out as well, at PFF underscore Sam. You can find the thing pretty easily, and it's uh, a valuable couple of minutes for us in terms of setting the, you know, the best agenda for you guys to get the best show. So we'd very much appreciate your time there. Uh, what else we got to talk about? The, the, uh, the rugby stuff, the, the rugby challenge it's finally going to happen, I think. Um, I've basically given up waiting for the guy that was supposed to send us the video because that man's season ended in crushing fashion. And frankly, he might not emerge from, a, from his own basement for quite some time. So I basically pivoted, found somebody else to do it. And uh, I think we're going to get that video in the next few days as well. So, uh, so I think that's going to happen in the next few weeks once we can coordinate a time where me and Steve are both in the great city of Cincinnati. Um, that leads me on though. So the, the way this guy's season ended in, cr in crushing form is, is also 
you know, I, they're they're my team, right, Leinster. And I was curious, mm. my, the the Heat beating the Celtics in Game Seven. There were all these pictures going around of like Bill Simmons looking like he just lost a family member, all that kind of stuff. I, I wanted to ask you, Trev, what is your Mount Rushmore of like absolute gut punches? Uh, in terms of a fan's perspective, you know, sporting gut punches over your lifetime. Okay. Um, you asked me this yesterday, mm. and I proceeded to go on a mental downward spiral thinking about <laughs> all the times that I've been sad in sports, so I do appreciate um, you doing this. But I'll start out with the strongest one, the one that immediately came to my mind. In the 2019 season of the NHL, the Tampa Bay Lightning, which – Twitter handle at Tampa Bay Trey. I'm from just south of Tampa. I'm a Tampa sports fan. Grew up playing and loving hockey. So, like, I, I've been a Lightning fan my entire life. In 2019, the Lightning break the regular season record for the most points, points and wins, I think, in NHL history. And they were they, they had the best regular season record ever in NHL history. The number one seed. They're, they're going to go on to the – now, this is before they won their two Stanley Cups, right? So, this is like – this is before that happened. So, the last time that they had won a Stanley Cup was in 2004. So, it had been a long time. They went to the Stanley Cup in 2015, and they got destroyed by the Chicago Blackhawks. So, like, this was the year. Like, they, this was the year that they were going to win the Stanley Cup. They play the Columbus Blue Jackets in round one. I am at the game. Game one. The Lightning are up 3 nothing at the end of the first period. I'm out here tweeting – like an idiot i'm like the cup is ours don't even show up for the next few periods uh the lightning go on to lose that game and then they go on to lose the next three games in a row and get swept in the first round after having the best record in nhl history it was the i sam i didn't know what to do like i I, any faith that i had in in the organization of sport was gone. I didn't know what to do. I I did not know what to do. They didn't just lose in the first round because people would be like, oh, that happened to Boston this year. Yeah, Boston lost in Game 7 to a team that is going to the Stanley Cup Final in the Florida Panthers. The Lightning got swept, didn't win a single game in the first round of the playoffs to a team that didn't do anything later in the playoffs. It was embarrassing, it was terrible, and it was uh, an extreme low point for me as a fan. That's that rough. I still remember. That's rough. I have my so my Mount Rushmore four of them. Um, mm-hmm. The the Leinster game that just happened that that jumps on there that becomes oh. one of the four. They they lost for the second consecutive year in the European Cup final to a team that is coached by one of their former like great rival players. They got taken apart in the last minute of last year's final. So this year, the entire season became about that revenge game, right? They basically sacrificed the domestic competition. They put out like a B team against Munster in the playoffs, specifically targeting the next week because that was the big game. And they got out to a 17-0 lead after 11 minutes. The commentators were saying, this is like the greatest 10 minutes of rugby that's ever been played and then from that point on, everything went bad, and it just started. the The lead was getting chipped away at, chipped away at. They eventually lost the lead in the last couple of minutes. Had a chance to go up and snatch it back, and didn't get it done. So the same team, the same bogey team, got them two years in a row, and now arguably the best team in the in Europe has now failed two two consecutive seasons to win anything. Um, so that was that's a nightmare. That's an absolute gut punch, and that's why I had to go somewhere else for our rugby videos. 
the other three that would be on my Mount Rushmore, two mm-hmm. NFL ones, uh, I would say both 98 and 09 NFC Championship games from a Vikings fan perspective were mm-hmm. both absolute daggers. The, the 98 one, Randy Moss, you know, the, the greatest offense the NFL had ever seen up until that point, couldn't be stopped from scoring and then just played a disaster of an NFC championship game, ended up, you know, kick, missed. Guy hadn't missed a kick all year, shanks it. Uh, and then 09, the, uh, you know, Bounty Gate, Brett Favre, everything going great, and then one ridiculous pass across his body, absurd. Uh, and then my final Mount Rushmore one, 2002 World Cup, uh, Ireland lost to Spain in pe- on penalties in a World Cup that had opened up for any team to go deep because of a weird quirk of just the way the draw was and all the good teams getting knocked out and stuff, all the way to penalties. And so <laughs> they, uh, Spain's penalty, the final penalty, uh, they sort of low one, dribbled down, scored just jumped up over the keeper's leg and somebody pointed out to me afterwards that if they had chalked the line like the six yard line you know the the chalk that goes on it if that had been Mm -hmm. chalked less it would have been saved because apparently once it went across the line it like kicked up and went the six inches above the guy's leg that it needed to clear if it had just carried on on the trajectory his leg would have stopped it and it would have been saved so that those are my four absolute gut punches What are your other three? I was going to say, my other three are, um, again, Tampa sports. When the Tampa Bay Rays went to the World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Like, it was the greatest thing that that city had ever seen, it felt like. Because the Rays, they never spent any money. They're in a division with the Red Sox and the Yankees. They're never supposed to be good. They ended up putting this, you know, money ball type of team together. They win the AL. They go to the World Series. And... They get worked hard by the Phillies. And it was just like, I watched that series and I was like, they're better. Like, there's, it was just the most gut punch feeling of there's nothing Tampa can do. This is a Cinderella, super incredible fairy tale season that was going to end without a championship because there was no way that they were going to lose the Phillies because the Phillies were just way better. So that's my uh, next one. Uh, when I was at, UF as a student, the University of Florida in 2012, they had one of the best defenses in college football. That was like the Dominique Easley, the Sharif Floyd, the Dante Fowler, um, Jelani Jenkins, John Bostic, like Matt Elam. Like that was that defense for Florida. They end up being one game short of making the SEC championship game. And so they didn't lose in the SEC championship game, but they didn't win either to potentially play for the national title. So instead they got to play in the Sugar Bowl and they were playing Louisville. And in my mind, I'm like, it's Louisville. We're, I mean, we're you're gonna <laughs> we're gonna smoke Louisville like it's nothing. That was Teddy Bridgewater, Louisville, and Teddy absolutely worked them. And I was that was in the Superdome in New Orleans, and I got row one tickets for that. So I was row one to watch my team <laughs> get worked in a game where I think they were double digit favorites to win. So that was brutal. And then the very last one, it's a little bit of a personal one. It's not me as a fan. It was actually me playing, but it haunts me. So I wanted to mention it. Um, You know, when you're a washed up athlete Hmm. and you're in college, the thing that you have to look forward to the most is intramurals. Mm -hmm. Intramural softball at the school that I went to before UF was the most important thing that ever happened on that campus. Basically it was 
heated. And I played with a group of my friends and there was a team of ex-baseball players or baseball players who got red-shirted who were on the team, but that meant they could still play intramural softball. We were going up against them. Somehow, some way, it was a miracle that we even made the championship. Somehow, some way, we were within one run. We had a kid on third, two outs, bottom of the ninth. It was three to two we were losing. And a friend of mine grounded out, and we uh, <coughs> we were one run short of taking down the evil dynasty of baseball players that infiltrated intramural softball. Nice. So those are my four. There's a, we'll get on to actual NFL talk in a second, but I, I have to finish it by telling this quick story. We, uh, I used to play in tag rugby, which is basically, you know, the rugby equivalent of flag football. Sure, and yeah. you discover very quickly that there are levels to, you know, every athletic endeavor. And we changed one year, we were in a, a local kind of league and we changed venues to somewhere that was a little bit more convenient for a couple of people on our team. And it turns out the level that we went, the, that we changed to was dramatically worse than the level that we started off at, even though technically they were the same level in the structure, just the, the quality of team there was so much worse. So we ended up going from like a mid table team, the, the previous place to winning the league that year which automatically got us entered in some all-Ireland, like, tag rugby championship blitz weekend mm -hmm. thing, right? So we show up, and, like, every other team there has got, like, sponsorship. They've got their own custom jerseys. We had, like, red T-shirts with duct tape numbers on them, that kind of thing. And the very first game, we show up, and, you know, a couple of the people on our team were pretty good, reasonably athletic. Like, I was fast at the time, back when I was fit and stuff. And get the thing very first game ball comes down to me i'm running it out and i like the guy coming down towards me and i hit this guy with the very best move i had right like absolutely dominant double sort of fake juke thing puts him to his knees and then from his knees he like leaps somehow on the ground and gets a one-handed tag and and ma you know makes the tackle right and i'm like I, that's that's all I've got. If I can put you to your <laughs> knees and you still make the tag, we are screwed because that is that's by far the best move that I've got to bring to the table, and it still didn't get me anywhere. We are hosed for this game. <laughs> so, like, we I think we had six games or something that day and lost five of them, and then we went up against the other garbage team that was there that day, and it was like, this is a battle for just to not be the worst team in this entire thing. <laughs> That was pretty it's, rough. It's funny because like I've played in like community softball leagues since being out of college. And, you know, I, we did the thing where it's like, hey, uh, you know, the color of the team is black. So like wear a black shirt. It right. doesn't matter. Like we don't have jerseys. Like it's literally just like wear whatever black shirt you got. You know that when you show up to the field and there's that team of slightly overweight blue collar dads <laughs> who are wearing like the tie dye looking uniform type thing. You know, you're about to get run ruled. Yeah. Like, you know that the game is over before you even step onto the field. And that's uh, exactly what happened. I did want to shout out Tyler Sobchak, our producer here on the show, who in our Slack channel said, I'm a Cleveland sports fan. Mm. So pick literally any moment. And yeah. that is on the Mount Rushmore of gut punches. Uh -huh, it's true. Having said that, you know, you go back far enough, the Browns did at least win championships. You know, there are teams out there that have never sniffed that, that have just. I, I want Tyler to embrace those championships so hard. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't remember what the years were, like 68 right. or like, like 72 or like. Yeah. 
like whenever it was but like i want tyler to have banners of that in his house like his man cave in like here. he's still holding on to the 72 championship but or whatever. um i remember like bill simmons years ago had an article where he was talking about cursed franchises right and his mm -hmm. argument was if you just stink you can't be a cursed franchise because you accept it as a fan mm. and you're used to it, right? So just That's being bad point. again doesn't do anything to you. What makes you really a cursed franchise is no matter how many times you get sucked in the gut, you, you buy in right before it happens again, right? So he had a friend apparently who was a Vikings fan and he was saying that NFC, if you remember that 09 and the Vikings run, right? all the way through the year because we'd seen New York Jets Brett Favre and we'd seen the way mm -hmm. it ended in Green Bay and all the way through that season everyone was like don't get excited this is how it works and then at the end of the season he's going to throw the ball to a cornerback and that's how the year ends right stop getting excited we know we've seen this before we know what's coming and Bill Simmons asked his buddy he was like but in overtime against the Saints on that final drive he's like did you believe that he was going to get it done and the guy was like Yes, that's how <laughs> that's how it gets you. That's being a cursed franchise. It doesn't work it if you just stink. You have to get them to buy in before you pull the rug out from under them and screw them again. Overtime is also evil because you convince yourself that the next score wins. You know, like it's the same thing in like playoff hockey. Like you could be the worst team, but if you somehow make it to overtime two to two, all you have to do is score the next goal. Like it doesn't matter. You don't have to be better than that team for 82 games of a regular season. You just need to simply score the next goal. So it's the same thing in football. Like when you make it to overtime, I, you just need to score the first touchdown. That's, well, used to be how it is. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, that's, it's cruel, man. It's cruel. I think the Vikings are definitely one of the most cursed franchises because they're always right there. Right. Like they're always, you, they, you, every single year you can believe in the Vikings if you want to. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a curse. They franchise. suck you in and that's what makes you a cursed franchise. All right. We're going to actually talk some NFL football, but first, if you're looking to organize your financial future, make sure to start with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for all your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. It takes less than 10 minutes to apply, see your quote, and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Uh, take steps to help uh, protect your family today with Ger with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second uh, quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFF. That's meetfabric.com slash PFF. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFF. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency LLC using fabric technologies. Not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. For more more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. All right, Trev, wide receiver rankings time. Let's do um, it. This is fun because I think at the top, it's it's a debate. It's not like it is with quarterback where I think there's a clear and obvious number one. There's a couple of other positions where that's true as well. Uh, I think, interestingly, now my Twitter, I posted a poll on this. And my Twitter was overwhelmingly for one of these guys, but I don't know if that's skewed by the demographic of my followers or if that's actually the way the public perception is. But I think it's a toss-up between Devontae Adams 
and Justin Jefferson. I kept Adams at number one because, frankly, if you're going to dethrone the king, you got to do it. you got to make it obvious, and it's not obvious right now. Devontae Adams is still up there with the best wide receivers in the game. There's no decline in his numbers. He still gains as much yards per route run as anybody. He's still an absolute route-running technician. He is as good as any receiver in the NFL, so he gets to keep the crown. Look, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off this podcast by just saying what needs to be said, and that is for wide receivers specifically, you need tears, right, to, to actually do <laughs> wide receiver ranks. And I know that takes the fun out of it, right? That takes the venom out of it. Like, how could you have this guy over this guy? But for wide receiver, that is the way that it is because you and I talked a little bit before you published this article. I agree with you. I would have Devontae Adams at number one. I just think that, look, him, Justin Jefferson, and Tyreek Hill, they're all in bucket number one. They're all in bucket number one. They have qualities about them that make them absolutely unstoppable from a week-in, week-out basis. So pick one of those guys, and he's going to be one of the best in the league every single year. He's going to dominate your passing, attack, and your strategies, all that kinds of stuff. But Adams, it just, it like, he has a mastering of the wide receiver position where it doesn't matter what type of corner is going up against him. It doesn't matter what type of coverage he's got a release for it. He's got a route for it. He's got nuance for it. He he knows how to fool you. He's just so good in those clutch situations and year after year after year, he continues to be productive. So does Justin Jefferson. You could say mm-hmm. a lot of those things with him, but Adams has just been doing it for a little bit longer. So I, that consistency of elite play is maybe what would give him the edge a little bit over Justin Jefferson, but they're both right there, man. I understand that everybody right now would say, oh, it's Justin Jefferson because it's kind of like the shiny new toy, right? right? I mean, like he's so young, he's so accomplished already that you want to say there's nobody above him. But to me, that's 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 just not true. It's not It's not like... Justin Jefferson is in a tier of his own. He is in a tier to me with Tyree Kill and with Devontae Adams. And you could put whoever you want at number one. You went with Adams. I also would have went Adams. Um, I think I would have made I, I think I would have went Tyree Kill at number two, honestly. I'm I I I think Tyree Kill has a better case to be number one than Justin Jefferson does to be number one. And that's not a slight to Jefferson. That's simply because what Hill brings to the table with unmatched speed is an element that neither of those two dudes, however great they are, don't have. So that's kind of the way that I would see receivers. You went with Adams, Jefferson, Hill. I probably would have went Adams, Hill, Jefferson, but they're all in that tier. I mean, I think Justin Jefferson has absolutely put himself in the same tier with Devontae Adams. Um, Yes. And I, I think that's absolutely fair. But when you look at just the period of Jefferson's career, or even just the last two years, um, Adams still leads him in PFF grade. He still leads him in, in yards per route run. He's still just ahead, like number one guy in the NFL in those categories. Jefferson is number two, but he hasn't clearly distanced himself from Adams, right. which I think he would need to do to become like the clear number one receiver. The, the Tyreek Hill question, though, is a really interesting one because Hill has that randy moss element to his game which is he terrifies defenses more than anybody else in the league like i think Devontae adams is a better wide receiver i think justin jefferson is probably a better wide receiver but they don't scare defenses the way tyree kill does which was like the second randy moss stepped on an nfl field he changed everything because now every game he played for the rest of his career defenses were terrified of one lapse one switch off and it's 
touchdown. Can't do that. You you don't have the same fear with Adams or Justin Jefferson where, you know, you can do everything right, essentially, but he's just way faster than you are, and you've got no way of combating that. Like, those guys are capable of making special plays, but they don't bring that element of fear to the table. It's still an athlete's game, right? The game of football is still favoring elite athletes. And I think that those guys that we're talking about, Adams and Jefferson and so many other guys on this list, they are elite athletes. But somehow, some way, Tyreek Hill is clearly above all of them from an athletic profile. And and that part, to me, when people have Tyreek Hill a little bit lower on their wide receiver list, they're not taking that into account enough. It's not just like, yeah, 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 Tyreek Hill is fast. No, no, no. This this is this is like you mentioned, game changing speed. Every single team that goes up against Tyreek Hill has to change the way they play defense because there is no one else in the league that they face on a week in a week out basis that has the athletic capabilities, the athletic ceiling, the game-breaking athleticism the way that Tyreek Hill does. So um, I agree. There's no receiver to me is more feared in the NFL than Tyreek Hill because of that because and of that factor. The other way I think that it probably makes an impact that you don't see is I imagine there's no receiver that, that more time is spent outside of games focusing on, right? Whether it's game plans during the week, whether it's actual practice time dedicated to let's make sure we're doing the things to stop this guy hurting us. Um, I remember years ago when Barry Sanders was playing, the amount of like you would hear every time they talk to these guys, to players, how much work they spent in practice back when you had unlimited practice time essentially – doing things uniquely designed to stop Barry Sanders, right? Remember backside contain. Like rem- like the John Randall spending his offseason chasing a chicken, right? <laughs> Trying to replicate how you would have <laughs> right. to play to stop Barry Sanders. But the entire game plan was focused, like, just be disciplined, understand, stay on your feet, don't dive in, don't do anything stupid because it takes one screw-up and the guy's going to go and beat you for a big play. It feels like that's how it is with Tyree Kill, where you have to spend so much time just making sure you're not going to make the mistake that costs you big. Um, years ago, when he was still playing with the Jags, they put Jalen Ramsey on Tyree Kill basically all game long, and he did a really good job for almost all of it. And then there was one third down play where he just switched off briefly at the just at the release, just at the snap. And Tyreek Hill was gone for 35 yards down the sideline for a big first down conversion. It's like, that's all yep. it takes. You had yep. 60-something snaps, and you know 59 of them, you did a really good job. And then one, you switched off, and they got a huge third down conversion off the back of it. And you only switched off for a split second. The personal example that I have on this is that during the Bucks Super Bowl season, they faced the Chiefs earlier in the year because right. they also faced them for the Super Bowl. And they faced them earlier in the year. And I'm pretty sure Tyreek Hill had, what was the record, like 200 yards in one quarter? Yeah, like the, like first, it was the quarter. first quarter. And he had, he had 200 yards. And that just goes to show you how you can't play defense the same way against him. Right. Because when you play, when you play that kind of defense and you get beat by – even guys like Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson. Yeah, there's plenty of examples where they take mistakes and take it a long way. But for those guys, all right, maybe you're only giving up 125, 150 yards in the first quarter. For Tyree Kill, they gave up over 200. And like that matters because 
those scores turned into touchdowns. He takes mistakes and blows them wide open. And I, I just, it's, it's a different kind of player with Tyreek Hill. And, and that's why I agree with you. He's, he's probably the most feared in the NFL, but that's why to me, it's a bucket of three guys, Devonte Adams, yeah. Justin Jefferson, and Tyreek Hill. I Take think the consequences to making a mistake covering Tyreek Hill are more severe than they are with of any course. other receiver in the yes. NFL. Like that's yes. the, that's the real superpower that he brings to the table. It's not that, you know, if you make a mistake, any of these guys can't make a big play or hurt you. But Tyree Kill is the only guy where if you screw up, it could be it could be a ninety yard touchdown, right? If you screw up against Justin Jefferson or Devontae Adams, the chances are somebody's gonna be able to fix it somewhere before they score. Correct. If Correct. you screw up against Tyree Kill and you give him an ounce of daylight, he could be gone from anywhere on the field. Like mm-hmm. remember that touchdown he scored where somebody fumbled the ball and it just happened to bounce to Tyree Kill? When, and, he's and, gone. And, right. Like he's he's one of the few players in the NFL where a loose ball just bouncing into his hands is almost certainly a touchdown because everybody's out of position at that point and it's a foot race and in a foot race he wins yep agreed um so okay so uh, continuing this theme of tiers i think there's a next group of players that probably belong in a similar tier how deep would you extend the next tier to so you've got Jamar Chase, you got Stefan Diggs, you got Cooper Cup, you got AJ Brown. Those yep. are the next four guys on the list. I think that they're absolutely in the, that tier. I think that it probably stops there. I, th- I think that it's probably those four. Um because you got you got Terry McLaurin at eight, who Terry McLaurin's awesome, obviously, but I don't think I I wouldn't put him in that same kind of tier with those guys yet. This I think CeeDee Lamb's probably closer. But I still don't think that I would put him in there quite yet. You got Debo, you got Mike Evans, you got DeAndre Hopkins. Those are kind of rounding out the top 12. So I think for that next tier, it would it would be those four players. It would be Jamar, it would be Diggs, it would be Cup, and it would be Brown. A.J. Brown is the guy that the more I think about it, the more I want to push him higher up the rankings. Now, it's hard to do. Like Cooper Cup is, is a right. year removed from right. posting like a 2,000-yard season and having one of the best wide receiver years that the game has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephon Diggs has had this incredible run of consistency. Jamar Chase is, is essentially setting records to, to start his NFL career. So it's pretty difficult to find guys that you would uh, say are clearly lower or clearly should be lower than A.J. Brown. But when you look at his stats, um, and even, I mean, like the, his tape speaks for itself in terms of physical dominance and the big plays he's able to make, et cetera. But when you look at his kind of profile – um, I remember before he went to Philadelphia, he's never had necessarily the volume of some of these other guys, but his numbers in terms of a uh, yard per route run type of figure against every type of like difficult coverage. So man coverage, press coverage, um, all, all the kind of more difficult scenarios that you can draw up. Mm-hmm. We're right there with the very best wide receivers in the NFL. And it, it sort of spoke to a guy that is probably better than his overall volume would suggest. And then he goes to Philadelphia, and, you know, it's it's always difficult to apportion the credit. But at the very minimum, A.J. Brown goes to Philadelphia, and coincidentally, there is a massive leap forward in Devontae Smith's production. There's a massive leap forward in Jalen Hurts' uh, play across the board. And, you know, Philadelphia ends up, becoming a, a different proposition as a as an overall team you probably can't apportion all of that credit to aj brown but 
he may have been the driving force behind it. Yeah, it's it, it, it is funny how you say, "Oh, I wish I could have pushed up, pushed AJ Brown a little bit higher on this list," because you look at him and you have him ranked at seven. So you right. see that number seven next to him, and you go, "Oh, okay, this should be higher." Who are you going to put him higher than? You going to put it like you going to put him? I'm not going to. I'm I'm definitely not putting AJ Brown over Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup. Maybe Stefan Diggs, but again, that's why we're talking about buckets. That's why we're talking about tiers because these guys are all dominant receivers they just win a little bit differently right like Diggs is more of a nuanced kind of start and stop route manipulator than right. aj brown is he's not necessarily aj brown's not necessarily this like super flexible gonna stop on a dime but he's super strong he can get off the line of scrimmage incredibly well he creates that throwing window when he's getting vertical he's great at contested catch situations like all of these things he just does so well all of these receivers they just win very differently i would say that if you're comparing AJ to anyone in this tier, style-wise, it would be Jamar, right? I think that that would be probably the guy that you would say is closest to his style. And I'd, I'd, I'd still have Jamar ranked ahead of AJ Brown. So I think that they're ranked appropriately in that regard. Um, and then I think Cooper Cup and and uh, and Stefan Diggs are, are kind of of the same mold and how they win as receivers. I'd have Cooper Cup higher than Stefan Diggs, but they're both right there for sure. So that's kind of how I see this tier. That's how I kind of see A.J. Brown. So you already mentioned a few of the next receivers in the list. Uh, Terry McLaurin, C.D. Lamb. Debo Samuel is the one that I want to talk about a little bit because he is so hard to rank because he doesn't play the game the same way as any of these guys. And I think right, and he play and he plays for Shanahan, right? Yeah. Like what what what's he now? It's it's such an interesting debate because a lot of people would go, well, what's Debo Samuel outside of San Francisco? And you say, okay, that's a fair question to ask, but at the same time. Wouldn't you simply say that Shanahan is getting the most out of Debo Samuel? Sure. So at that point, how are, you can't punish Debo for that. You know, he's simply being used in the best possible way. So if he was outside of San Fran, sure, he probably the numbers probably wouldn't look as good. But we're going to punish a, a guy for the coach using him exactly how he should. I don't think we can do that either. And I think because he's so effective running the ball that it almost overshadows how good he is as just being a sort of conventional wide receiver. You know, and he like that gets used against him sometimes when we're comparing him to other guys that don't do any of the rushing things that he does. But like that guy averages a really healthy yards per route run figure for his career. He's good at contested catches. He catches over 40% of those contested targets in his career. Obviously, the broken tackle numbers are ridiculous because he's the best runner of any wide receiver um, in the NFL. But I feel like he's a better receiver than he's given credit for, even if you took away the running stuff. Like if you go back and remember him at the Senior Bowl, People couldn't cover him all week during the Senior Bowl. It's not like he's just this kind of gimmick running back that right. Kyle Shanahan has found a use for. This is a really good wide receiver who also happens to be one of the most dynamic rushing threats in the NFL. Yeah, no, I agree. He's he's a he's a unique type of player. And and again, going back to what I said, like whatever he is in San Francisco, you've just got to take that with appreciation. You can't. I don't think you can look at Debo Samuel. And say the same things that we say about running backs or quarterbacks that come from that system. 
right? Because I think a lot of people look at either Christian McCaffrey or they look at Elijah Moore or not Elijah Moore, um, uh, Elijah Mitchell or like Raheem Mostert when he was there, Jeff Wilson when he was there. You obviously, like what's happened with Brock Purdy, what's happened with Jimmy Garoppolo, and you go, oh, that's the Shanahan system. Like they're getting the Shanahan bump. And then we kind of say that as a little bit of a negative, right? Because we talk about how easy things are for those guys because of how well Shanahan schemes it up. I don't think that same argument exists for Debo. I think you have to go the opposite route with it and say, He's using Debo to the best of his abilities. That's what we are judging. It's not like Shanahan's out there making people miss in space. It's not like he's he's the one out there breaking all of these tackles. That's still Debo doing that. And a lot of times he's doing that independent in his own ability. So, um, yeah, I just I, I wouldn't have that same kind of argument that other people have with the 49ers that they would with Debo. So um, I, I think that being in the top 12 is appropriate for Debo. I would agree with where you've got them. Yeah, um, and then I think we get into a, a few receivers that are, I think, difficult to rank. So Mike Evans, the consistency mm-hmm. shown by him every single year is is wild. You know, every year, 65-plus passes, at least 1,000 yards, ton of touchdowns, um, one of the one of the best receivers in NFL history in terms of number of touchdowns he scored through his age, effectively. He's still only 29, right? He's got one more year of... Uh, think so age 30 season but somebody uh posted a uh, he turned he turns he turns 30 in august okay so he'll be 30 so he'll be year. 30 this season somebody posted a uh, chart of like th- receivers through their age 30 season and because deandre hopkins is the number one receiver in the nfl in terms of receptions through their age 30 season but the thing that jumped out from that stat sheet to me is that randy moss has 120 had 124 touchdowns through his age 30 season Nobody else on this list, and I don't think this list is it, – it's sorted by catches, so I think it's dropping off a couple of touchdown guys. But nobody else was over 89, 87 in terms of touchdowns. Like Mike Evans, with one more year, if he scores 10 touchdowns, he's still got to trail Moss by like 30-odd scores. It's insane. Um, yeah. But Mike Evans is up there in terms of touchdowns, yards, catches, all those things – through you know their their age 30 season he's still got a year to go yeah evans is even you know it's 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 interesting with me being uh somebody who's watched a lot of Tampa Bay buccaneers football i mean like i've basically watched every game that mike evans has played in the nfl he is so consistent he is so good he is so talented and yet i still think that he leaves meat on the bone every single year like i really do like there are a handful of games or, or certain instances where He'll just drop the ball and and he shouldn't have. Or he'll go out of bounds or he'll go down after first contact when he really wouldn't have to. And like I genuinely think that for as good and as consistent as Mike Evans has been, there's even more meat on the bone for him. Now, we're at the point where he's almost 30 years old, right? He's nine seasons into this. I don't think he's magically going to become a yards after catch guy. Like He's not going to have this knack for being a big yak guy or really breaking a ton of contact or all that stuff. I I just think he is kind of who he is at this point. But however you look at Mike Evans, I think the floor for him in a wide receiver ranking is 15 at at the lowest floor. And then the highest, you could get him anywhere from... 10, 9, 8, 7. You you could get him in that like 10 to 5 range. He's not cracking that top five, but I think the ceiling for him is anywhere from 10 to 5, and the floor for him is anywhere from 10 to 15. You can't have him lower than that. Right. Um, so now 
Number 12, we have DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, topical. Mm-hmm. He just got released by the Cardinals. What does he have left? Because I found he was another difficult one to rank. There was, a, there was an NFL, was it a GM, an, you know, unnamed NFL, blah, blah, blah. It was like, Nuke is done. Like, he can't run anymore. He's toast. He can't separate. Worthless, almost, was the tenor of the quote that came out. I don't know if I'd go that far. What do you think Nuke Hopkins has left? I still think he's got plenty left in the tank. I'm not going to pretend that I've like put him under a microscope lately, but I also just, I, I, I didn't really like him in Arizona. Like it just felt like he was very pigeonholed to a singular wide receiver usage with him being only on one side of the field and them having a specific role that only Deandre Hopkins was going to do. Cause it felt like they had specific roles for everybody. And NFL football, it just doesn't work out like that. I think that Cliff Kingsbury tried to do a lot of college football stuff in the NFL, and even with some of the most talented guys, like it just doesn't work like that. Them getting DeAndre Hopkins, that should have been their perfect type of receiver that they were trying to bring in for that position, to be this X guy, this line of scrimmage player, this contested catch guy, dominate one side of the field, open things up on the other side of the field. But it just it does not work out like that. And so I don't know how harshly I'm going to judge what happened in Arizona. I also don't know what was going on behind the scenes. Like we saw Kyler yelling at Cliff on the sidelines, you know, like what was there just because dude, I mean, we've all worked jobs before where we're not mentally in it, you know, and if you're not mentally in it, you're probably not giving your best no matter what, like, it's just a natural thing. So it's kind of the same, the same way I look at Deandre Hopkins is kind of a similar way to the way I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers. Now that he's in a situation where he's really happy, he wants to be there, he's super motivated, I think that there's still some really good play in the tank for him. And I still think that's the case with DeAndre Hopkins. I probably also would have had him top 15. I don't know if he would have been top 12. I know you got him 12, but maybe he would have been like 13, 14 for me. But he would have been close to where you have him. That's probably a similar spot that, that I would have had him here. And dude, I mean... If he goes to Buffalo or Kansas City, like people are saying, right? Uh, it's, I think we're going to see a really damn good version of New Copians. Whether it was the guy that we saw in Houston or not, I think that you're going to get a really damn good wide receiver. So I still think he's got to crack the top 15. Yeah, the, the force multiplying factor of having like another elite weapon already on the field for some of these guys is huge. Like we're going to, there's, there's a bunch of them that we're going to get to, you know, players like, um, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins, Devontae Smith, guys that are playing opposite an already elite established receiver. And to be honest, that works in reverse as well. Like the impact that the the high end second guy has to an elite number one has got to be huge. Um, Garrett Wilson at number thirteen is a is the one player I think from this sort of lower down list that could catapult himself up into the top ten next year. Like what what Wilson did year one with an absolute dumpster fire of a quarterback situation was crazy. And if he and Rodgers connect early, his just production could go to the moon. Yeah, I, you know, I did the under 25 list and I had Garrett Wilson, I think at 21, but I had him behind receivers like Amon Rossing Brown, T. Higgins, um, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. And I did that just because it's like I was I was I loved what Wilson did this past year, especially when you take into the quarterback situation into account. But it was just one year, and I was like, man, these other guys, they've really come along strong. They've posted some elite grades for a couple of these 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 players. And so I didn't have Garrett Wilson maybe as high as I think his talent ceiling appreciates, but you having him 13 
when I'm looking at him in this list objectively, I'm almost telling myself, shoot, I feel like he's almost in that category with like McLaurin and Debo Samuel. Right. You got those guys listed a little bit higher. So I'd almost be tempted to, you know, it would it would be more aesthetically pleasing for wide receiver styles for Garrett Wilson to be one spot ahead of Mike Evans because then you could evenly say, all right, McLaurin, C.D. Lamb, Debo Samuel, Garrett Wilson. And then I, I honestly, like I put Jalen Waddle up all the way up here too. I'd throw Jalen Waddle in there and be like, okay, that's tier three for me. And then Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, Amon Ross St. Brown, like those guys are rounding out the top 15 and what would be, I guess, like tier four. So that's kind of how I would see it. Um, I I am expecting really big things from Wilson this year with, with Rodgers as a quarterback. I think that could absolutely happen. Um, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are two really interesting case studies because I think both guys are very difficult to extract from the situation around them, like the impact that that has. So obviously Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel arriving in Miami completely changed the entire outlook for Jalen Waddell. And if you look at his, just the way he was used, it was totally different year two to year one. He went from being this insanely high volume, short, you know, shallow drags every other route, those uh, simple whip routes, like incredibly low average at the target year one. I think it was six point something. To basically doubling it year two. Average at the target 12.2 yards last season. He was third in the league in yards per route run behind Tyreek Hill and, and Justin Jefferson, I think. Um, so he's sort of shown that he can win at all levels, inside or outside, slot or wide. But we know that there's a huge sort of boosting factor from Tyreek Hill and from that offense overall. And then Devontae Smith, kind of similar thing. You've got this 166-pound receiver who was good year one, but mm. maybe you didn't quite know if he was going to be able to thrive against, you know, big physical corners and win at the catch point the way he did in college. And then year two takes a big step, but AJ Brown arrives and kind of takes away all of the stuff that would have been problematic for him to try and overcome. So he can just dominate as a route runner and as a a sort of sideline presence and some run after the catch stuff. So both guys have shown that they're capable of crazy high end, really elite play but we don't know how much of it is a product of like the other things helping them along. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm looking at the rest of the wide receiver group now and if I mean maybe it'll be easier if I could talk through this if if we throw the the full list back up that might be a little bit easier but I, I'm looking at it and just some of the changes that I would make McLaurin, Lamb, Debo Samuel, and Jalen Waddle, I think I would have in that tier three of wide receiver. So rounding out the top 10, getting into the top 11. And then that next group of guys, I'd have Mike Evans, I'd have DeAndre Hopkins, uh, I would have DK Metcalf. Um, but then I would have T Higgins in that group as well. Like I'd have T Higgins in there with those guys. Um, and then I'd probably have I don't, again, like I don't know exactly what to do with Garrett Wilson. The ceiling tells me he's got to be a lot higher, but it was only one year. I'd probably right outside of that have Garrett Wilson, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then we get into like Devontae Smith. I'd throw Chris Godwin up there as well. I think that Chris Godwin's in for a massive year with him um, being a lot more healthy this season. So that's kind of high. Those are those are the changes, the little changes that I would have made. And I and I I I put Devontae Smith in that what is it, tier six that I'm getting to, to round out the top 20. So I think you've got him in the right spot there around wide receiver 18, 19, 20, something like that. I just have a couple of guys 
a little bit higher on that list. Like I'd have Chris Godwin over him, a fully healthy Chris Godwin, I still think is over him. And then um, I'd be bumping Jalen Waddle up probably into the fringe top 10 category, because I agree with you. He became more of a well-rounded wide receiver and yeah, Tyreek Hill makes a big impact when he is on the field. There's no doubt about it, but Jalen Waddle makes his own impact with his own speed, right? He was drafted to this team with the thought of he is going to be one of those people that if you make a mistake on him, he could take it a mile. Like he he is breaking it wide open. He is of that similar mold, even if he's not um, in that rarefied air that Tyreek Hill is. So that's where I'd put Waddle. That's where I'd put Smith. And then the back end of these rankings, I think there was a bunch of players uh, that had there were sort of difficult receivers to to fairly rank because either we haven't seen them, they've been dealing with injuries, all those kinds of things. So you got Michael Thomas, who I still found a spot for, 27. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's basically almost two full years of his career now have been derailed by these injuries that he's dealt with. But right. like he's played three games in the last two years. But in those three games, he caught three touchdowns and had 22 targets. If we get anything like that player this year who stays healthy, he's a top 32 receiver. Yeah, yeah, I would I would also have Mike Thomas on this list. You know, everybody likes to out with the old in with the new. Um but it's just Thomas has been too good when he's even been out there. Now, he's not going to be that same type of wide receiver one fantasy football overall number one kind of a top receiver, but top 32 guys in this league, he would still have to prove that he is not if you ask me. Now, we're in a situation where I see some people in the chat talking about this, like Chris Olave, you've got 32. So Chris Olave, guy on the same team, you've got him a little bit lower. There is certainly a reality, and I'm sure that you agree with this as well, where after this season, we flip it, and maybe a lot, even a lot more drastically, where Olave can be the one who is ascending on this top 32 list, and and maybe Michael Thomas is, you know, the injuries just kind of catch up to him. He's getting a little bit older, and he's kind of going down this list a little bit further, maybe not making the top 32. But I agree with a lot of the guys that you still have as his, on this list a little bit lower. I'm glad you got Calvin Ridley in here. I think that he's in for a massive year. Yeah. I'm glad you got Brandon Cooks in here. I feel like he's a forgotten guy. Deontay Johnson, for as much as he doesn't score the touchdowns, he's still a productive player. Tyler Lockett being in the top 25, I still think, is very appropriate as well. Uh, I like the that um, Brandon Ayuk cracked the top 20 because I think that he is turning into a really nice route runner, and he's got some good athleticism too. So I think that he is on the up as well. So he's a good young wide receiver too. I wouldn't change a ton about the back end of this top 32. You know, maybe I would have thought about getting Drake London in here. Um, but it's it, it's kind of in a situation where, okay, am I putting in Drake London over Mike Williams? Am I putting him in over Michael Pittman? Eh, probably not. So maybe London would have still ended up as a guy on just on the outside looking in for me. But that's kind of the way that uh, I was looking at the back end of those guys. Yeah, Calvin Ridley is one I think that a lot of people have sort of forgotten because obviously of his year's suspension. But Ridley is so good. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL and always has been. He's got great speed and... It's because of why he's he wasn't in the NFL last year. It feels like the year off, if anything, will be good for him. Like, it, I don't think it will harm him. I don't think he's going to suffer from, you know, being rusty when he gets back out there. I feel like a year for a in-their-prime, talented, skill position player to just get 100% healthy and hit the, the, the week one of the regular season in, like, peak physical condition – can only be a good thing. Like, there isn't a ton of precedent for that kind of thing happening, but I don't feel it's going to negatively affect him this year. And if it, if it 
positively affects him, he's probably ranked too low on the list. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, what what is he, 26? You got him at 26. I feel like that's conservative for what Calvin Ridley can be. I don't know if he, I, I don't think that he would be much lower than that, but he could certainly be higher than that. I might've had him a little bit higher, but um, yeah, that's just, I, I think that we kind of see him of a similar light. I also wanted to shout out, and I wondered if there were a handful of players that you were really debating between getting on this list um, who barely kind of just didn't make that 32, or maybe you were comfortable with them not making the 32, but ones that you were thinking about. I brought up Drake London. Jahan Dotson's another one who right. I'm really hoping that we get a fully healthy season to Jahan Dotson because uh, I think that there is a chance, that especially with if Sam Howell's going to be that gunslinger that he was at UNC, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of air yards to, to go around there. So I think Jahan Dotson um, is at least somebody who you think about maybe making this top 32 list next year. No, sure. He could be there. I definitely thought about Drake London. Um, I like what he's good at. I question a little bit about whether he he can he's as well-rounded as some of these other guys. Like he thrives. He's in a great situation for him to look good. You know, the, the, the system in Atlanta where they rely on him running a ton of in-breaking routes. I, I just wonder if he was in a different offense where he actually had to work the outside more, had to work some out-breaking stuff and, and separate a bit better. I wonder if he would be as good. Um, I kind of wanted to get Jacoby Myers on the list. As, as maligned as he's been for mm. the last few years, it, he's he's held up as this like token for the problem in New England. Like Jacoby Myers is your number one receiver, therefore your offense stinks. Or this free agency, like Jacoby Myers is the best wide receiver available, therefore this is a crappy group. Jacoby Myers is a good player. He's not a great player. He's never going to be you know, a top 10 receiver in the NFL, but he's a good mm-hmm. receiver that has always separated well and gotten open and, like, done a good job. It's just that when he's your number one option, you're probably in some trouble. Right, right. No, I, I would agree with you. I think that the guys that you have on this 32, I wouldn't take Jacoby Myers over any of them. So right. I I would have I landed on the same top 32 that, that you would have even considering Jacoby Myers. But you're right, I, I don't think he's terrible. I really don't think he's a terrible wide receiver. Um, Hunter Renfro? Oh. Sneaky? Maybe? Could have made this top 32? I don't know. Renfro is obviously very streamlined. Like, he is a slot dude. But he is a artist at route running and he creates separation so consistently he if you're comparing hunter renfro renfro to justin jefferson it's not even close to the same player like right Right. they're not playing the same role but for what hunter renfro does could you convince me that that's a top 32 wide receiver for how effective he is at playing the position the way that he does i could i could buy into that i could buy i don't know if i'd have him here but uh just thinking about it now with him popping into my head, I, I think that I might have gotten him in on this top 32. Yeah, there's a lot of young players, I think, that will be interesting next year, given the kind of seasons that they could or maybe should have, you know, that, that have the talent to be on this list that just haven't shown it yet or, or haven't gotten to the level where you're comfortable putting them in over some of these other guys. Um, but absolutely, you could see some of those guys jumping on the list in a year's time. Agreed. All right, Trev. Appreciate your time, good sir. Myself and Steve will be back tomorrow to do the uh, the pessimism show. Everything that's wrong with your with every team in the NFL. That's always mm-hmm. a fun one every year. We didn't want to. We didn't. You're not a pessimism kind of guy, Trev. You're more upbeat than that. We didn't want to do that. Well, to let's. You. I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad that you think that way. Yeah, I don't. 
I don't like being overly hard. I'll leave I'll leave that to you guys. You guys are the real analysts, so I leave that work to you. All right, cool. So thanks very much. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow.